I ended up selling my first million dollar house from doing open houses on a on a home. Actually in this community, in the house that we're in right now. Oh, wow. At the if you go around the corner, it's a, a 84 Canterbury Coast. I sold it for a million bucks. That was my first million dollar sale four months after getting my real estate license. Yep. 30 G's, changed my life. And after that, I was like, this is it. This is all I want to do. Everybody wanna get the bag, but y'all really know what it's gonna take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue gems, let to show you the way. Cause we top finance and amortizing and anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding up there, finding ways to get paid. Better hop on this web, cause we're dropping blue gems. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. We are here live with another episode of the Blue Gems podcast. Today, we are here with Sam Coleman, a luxury real estate agent in Las Vegas, Nevada. We are actually shooting in Las Vegas today. So Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, bro. Let's Thank go. you. Thanks, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, bro. Let's kick it off, man. Just, uh, you know, let's delve into how you got into real estate, go through your story real quick and um, yeah, learn a little bit about you from the start. All right. Short story long. I'm from Baltimore City. I played professional basketball for six years. I played Division One basketball for a year and a half. I can't. I went to a junior college and uh, lost my scholarship, and I ended up playing, you know, pretty much a pickup game to get my Division One scholarship. That's how I got there. I was ineligible, and I played Division One basketball. Literally, a knock on the window. Hey, who's that kid down there playing? And I came up to the office. He said, "Son, where do you go to school?" I said, "I'm not in school. I was working at a warehouse." Um, I was driving a forklift at the time. I was 19. I had just dunked the basketball, like at 19 years wow. old. I just, out of nowhere, I just developed late and then started flying. And this coach saw an opportunity to snag me. And that's how I got to play Division One basketball. In high school, I had bad asthma. I played JV for three years. My coach told me if it wasn't an embarrassment to the program, you would play JV a fourth year. As a senior, that's how bad I was, oh right? <laughs> that's crazy. And Prior to that, prior to uh, my freshman year in high school, I got arrested because I was with some guys that were doing things that they weren't supposed to do. And we all got booked. And fortunately, because of the, my mom and her praying life, um, I got a very, very minimal sentence with just literally community service. And I did it through my church. And then from church, I got a job. My punishment was my mom made me go to the, the this grocery store from a guy that owned the grocery store in our church. And I had to push carts for free. And then they ended up hiring me there and that's what I did. So I started working at 13 years old. And then prior to that, just growing up in the city, in Baltimore City, it was literally like the wire. You know, we didn't walk anywhere. We didn't play outside. Memories of me as a, in, my, in my childhood was seeing uh, fiends, drug addicts, drug deals, people getting stabbed, shot. You know, my uncle almost bled to death on our front porch coming home from school after being shot because he owed somebody some money. So like that was really my child. Yep. Like coming, coming up. Right. So in Baltimore, you either sell drugs you drop a mixtape or you play sports. Wow. So like that was, that's Baltimore, right? The so, out, one yep. of those three. Yeah, so that's the that's the reverse aspect of it. So remember I started at high school and then I went to JUCO, right? So right after college, I averaged four points, probably five rebounds a game, something small, right? Um, but my um, when I was playing pickup, during that time, I kept playing even after college and I got an opportunity to go to a pre-draft workout, uninvited. I drove with some guys, they said, hey, if I run into somebody that I have known since the 80s, you may get an opportunity 
to get on the floor in front of NBA scouts. So I, w- ask for. Yep, I wasn't invited. And we were hoping to run into somebody that somebody's known from the 80s. Right. right? That was my that was a shot that I had. Yeah. Right. So I'm swinging for the fences. So I get there. We're there super early. And my um, my guy that I'm with, his name was Weasel. He had no front teeth from the hood. But this guy was <laughs> he convinced us that he knew the second in command, which was Stu Jackson at the time. And when we got there, the janitor let me in because he was mopping the floor. I'm 6'10", lean athlete. He, I must be a player. So he let me in. They gave me some basketball. So I'm there shooting around. Things are cool. Then all these NBA scouts come in. Mitch Kupchak, uh, freaking literally everybody who's anybody is walking through the gym. And then I walk off the court because now the real players are coming in. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just gracefully bow out. So while I'm watching... Coaches are coming up, scouts are coming up to me. What time are you on? What time are you playing? And I'm like, I'm not playing, blah, blah, blah. And then comes through the door is Stu Jackson. Weasel runs up to this man and Stu Jackson gives this man the biggest hug. And I'm like, he really knows him. He really knows this guy. I'm like, bro, he has no front teeth and he really knows this man, right? So they get me on the, they get me on the court. I work out with me, a kid from Nebraska and another kid from uh, like NC State or something like that. And we, I'm the only big guy, but they had me doing drills as if I was a guard. And only thing I kept thinking in my mind was, Sam, you just started dunking like a year ago, a couple years ago. Every time you get the opportunity, dunk the ball as hard as you can. So they would say, take two dribbles from the, you got two dribbles from the, from the half court to get to the rim. I'm long, bam, two dribbles, and then dunk the ball as hard as you can. That's all I did for 45 minutes straight. Anything that they told me to do, I'm like, I'm getting to the rim in one or two dribbles and dunk the ball as hard as I possibly can. Love it. At the end of that workout, um, the one of the scouts from the Minnesota Timberwolves was leaving and he called the lead scout from the Houston Rockets, BJ, said, BJ, it's time to go get lunch. And BJ goes, man, I'm here watching Sam Coleman. And that was the start of my professional basketball career. I got invited to, to Texas. I worked out a couple of times and the guy basically said, hey, if you if John Lucas says you can play, you can play. I work out, had a great session with him. He said, when are you going back home? I said, well, my hotel is only through this weekend. He said, well, see if you can stay with one of the, uh, one of the coaches in the, in the, in the coaching program and stay another week. So I stayed another week and I just kept getting better and better and better. And I'm working out with any, everybody like Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Othello Harrington, Carlos Boozer. It's like Andre Blatt. It's like Rudy Gay. It's like legit guys here. Right. right. And I'm competing at a high level. And he goes, well, do you even have to go back home? I said, no. He said, there's nothing else for you in Baltimore, son. At the end of that day, we did a workout at the track. He said, you got three times around the track. This is the end of the day. So we had workouts in the morning. We did strength training. We played in the afternoon. Now we're on the track. This is the fourth workout of the day. And he said, everybody got three times around the track. You got a minute 30, a minute 25, and a minute 20. I beat every time around the track, literally running until my heart gave out. DeAndre had mono at the time, throwing up on the side. Wow. And I came and every time I just went heart pounding outside of my chest and I went back to the line like I'm ready for another lap because it's all I got. Yeah. Right. This is it. Like if I don't like I'm either going to die or I've got to impress this man. He comes over to me, says, son, we're going to get you a job. The next week I was at the Toyota Center with Yao Ming the year that he retired. And that's how I got my shot in the NBA. Following that, I got invited to NBA Summer League here in Vegas, tear my ACL working out for three teams. 2011. The NBA lockout happens. I'm like, oh crap! I'm torn my ACL. The NBA lockout happens. Can't do rehab with the Jeez. teams. I have no health insurance. What am I going to do? Well, my agent at the time is helping me get me back going. 
fast forward, I played overseas, played in Middle East, played in Japan, played in China, playing on all these different places in Europe, the Balkan leagues. 2015, I get a shot with the Suns. My agent calls me. He says, Sam, I got an opportunity for you. My old college roommate is now the assistant GM of the Phoenix Suns. I said, oh, this is cool. This is my shot. The politics are now in my favor because I know somebody, right? It's not all about the grind and showing up uninvited. Now I go. Well, I get cut because a player comes in. His dad played in the NFL. And they're like, hey, this kid is in. You're out. I played incredible, shooting the lines off the ball, 8% body fat in the best shape of my life, run like a deer, and I get cut. I lose my mind. I go home. I tell my wife. I said, look, I'm done. I can't take this no more. I call my agent. Don't call me no more. This is it. Like, I don't know what else to do. I've given everything that I have at this game. I'm in the best shape of my life and I get cut. The GM calls and says, hey, Sam, stay ready. This is just not the time. I got no money. I have no opportunity, no contracts lined up. So my wife is like, you got to go get a job. So I'm like, God, so I start filling out job applications. I get job at Solar City. I'm sitting in orientation at Solar City, about to start selling solar. And the GM of freaking the Phoenix Suns called me back. This is three months later. I'm like, uh, hey, what's going on? He said, are you in shape? Yeah, I'm in shape. I hadn't touched the ball in three months. All I've been doing is angrily lifting weights, taking out all my frustration. Sam, are you ready? Yes. They fly me to Dallas to play on Friday. I play Saturday. I was cut back in Vegas on Monday, 0 for 7 for 3, two rebounds, played terrible, and I got cut again. Lost my mind. And I just quit my job. So I couldn't take the walk of shame back to Solar City. Like, hey, guys, just kidding. I got cut. I'm back. So I started driving for Uber. Now I'm at literally the lowest point in my life. Uber is brand new here in Vegas. There is no like, you know, you can just stand on a strip. You play your ride. will be there in two minutes. It was like, hey, I'm hoping to get a ride in 30 minutes so I can do a ride. Right. It was so new. They were still fighting with the taxi cabs. Right. So I was barely making 80 to 100 bucks a day. Because the rides were so cheap at that time, because they would just start getting started and trying to get market share. So while I'm driving for Uber, people throwing up in my cars and stuff like that. And one of my buddies, we would still train. We would still train. I would still train, work out 4:30 in the morning, go run, get my heels in, start driving for Uber, play pickup, and do my basketball workouts in the afternoon, just in case for whatever reason. I'm like, I can't let this happen again. Stay ready. Just right. stay ready, right? So I'm getting ready, and then I finally was just like, you know what? This is just too much. I can't do this. I'm getting my real estate license. So I start taking the test, failed it five times, failed it four times, passed it on the fifth try. And at this point, I was so excited because from what I known about real estate at that point was I can be in control. There was no politics. There was no me getting cut. There was nobody that can stop me from doing anything. Nobody can stop me from prospecting. And on the fifth time, I got my real estate license, still had no money. And I actually had to borrow $100 from my wife to take it my first time when I went to take the test. And the fifth time that I passed it, I drove from 4 a.m. at the airport all the way to the last appointment that they had that you can take the test for me to schedule so I can get the hundred bucks, cash out, and then pay for me to take the test. That's how I passed it on my fifth try. <laughs> oh my God, bro. Why bro. coming in clutch? Bro. That's a story, so, bro. So now that I got my license, the most important thing happened now. I got to join the MLS and pay the realtor dues. Bro. Two grand. I'm like, bro, where am I going to get two grand from? My wife charged the two grand on a credit card. Wow. Now I'm an active real estate agent. I had no signs, no business cards, no nothing. I'm like, all right, now is just time to hustle. Everybody in my office at the time said, you door knock, you cold call, and you do open houses. I started cold calling, get my face beat in. I was like, this sucks. Started door knocking. People weren't answering the door. My clothes didn't fit. 
It was like, it was just, it was hot. I'm like, bro, people just <laughs> slamming the door in my face. I got these big baggy suit on. Like, this is just weak. I can't do this. So then uh, this agent in my office let me do an open house at on his house. So I started doing open houses there, you know, and my first sale actually came from an Uber ride. Um, a lady who was renting a house and the seller wanted to sell. And then that was 205000 My second sale ended up coming from uh, a friend of mine in my sphere of influence. That was 279000 And then my third sale, the, the third month, um, I didn't get a sale. Right after that, I ended up selling my first million dollar house from doing open houses on a, on a home. Actually, in this community, in the house that we're in right now. Oh, wow. At the, if you go around the corner, it's a, a 84 Canterbury Coast. I sold it for a million bucks. That was my first million dollar sale four months after getting my real estate license. Yep, wow. 30 Gs, changed my life. And after that, I was like, this is it. This is all I want to do. And then I didn't sell another million dollar home into the next year. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, this is what I want. After that, all I did was stay around it. And I started selling that. My average price point was uh, high 500s which was really good. I sold 16 homes my first year and it only it was only that five, six, seven hundred, five, six, seven hundred. And then I just literally made up in my mind. I said, you know what? This is it. I'm only selling million dollar homes. This is who I am. I'm only working with Toll Brothers. I'm out here hustling and I'm only going to door knock homes in Summerlin that are over a million dollars. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. Then I became the listing agent for Toll Brothers, selling everything above a million bucks. And now my average price point is 1.4. And we have listings right now from 1.6 to five and a half million. That is a story right yeah. there, bro. So much to unpack. So I much, told you bro. short story long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's clean. That's clean. Where to yeah. start, bro? So, so like you've had so many failures, bro. Like literally yes. so many failures, so many setbacks. Like what has that done for your business, your mindset? Like how do you attribute all the success from those failures? It's all adversity. Like people like... I love what Gary Vee says, like, plug your ears and don't listen, whether it's hate or or uh, or accolades. Don't listen because this, too, shall pass like the good. The, the bad times shall pass. The good True. times shall pass. Right. So either way, it's always something that's that's coming. Like, I'm not a pessimist. Like, man, I'm just waiting for something bad to happen. But I, I just know that everything is so temporary. And whether I'm in a, in a like everything that I've gone through, it's like, man, I've survived 100 percent of the worst times of my life. There's nothing that I can go through right now where I'm like, I'm, oh, there's no way I'm going to make it through this. Nothing. So I think it, it's more so about what it's done for my mindset and how I approach things and how I respond to things, opposed to like my actual business. Um, the business is a byproduct of my response to the, to the good things and the bad things that happen in my life externally. Yeah. So right now, what are you most excited about in your business? Like. I know you have social media, you got content mm -hmm. going, you're mm -hmm. coaching, education, you got your yep. brokerage. Mm -hmm. What are you most excited about right now? Um, I, would mo I would say like the most exciting thing is as I'm learning more um, about networking, because I'm, I'm extremely extrovertedly introverted. Like, yeah, I, I can go out, you can drop me anywhere. People don't even have to speak English and I can make 100 friends. But when I want to, but when I when I'm by myself, I like silence. I don't really like to. I don't. I don't really network. I don't go out. I'm not a bar hopper. I'm not an event type person. But now, just through the people that the people that I get to work with in the affluent community, it requires me to have resources and to be resourceful. And you, it requires. It's like what Grant Cardone says. Like, who has my money? It's in somebody else's pocket, and that person's phone number is in somebody else's phone because it's not in mine. 
So my contacts have to change, right? So I have to get around more people and I'm excited about that because it's getting me outside of my comfort zone. It's requiring me to do something else. And then the value that I bring to them, it requires me to be somebody else, to be valuable to somebody else that for them to even want to help me, right? So as I'm reading more, as I'm studying more, as I'm doing so much personal development, I'm changing and it's changing the circles that I'm in. So I'm, I'm excited about that because it's, it's something that I, that I haven't done really well in the last six years. And that's like one of the, one of the things that I really want to work on and get better at. Routines, like someone that is so busy has, mm -hmm. you know, all these plates on. How are you managing all this? And like, what type of routines are you implementing in your life to have all this success? Can I keep it a hundred? Yeah. I don't. You don't have a routine. <laughs> He's I mean, I'm gonna be like, honest, bro. <laughs> because what I what I realized was it's like my habits and my rituals, things that that like that I owe. Like I owe these things to my week. I owe these things to my day. They don't always strategically come out the way that I want them to because that there's a price that has to be paid. I'm in this weird matrix glitch right now where it's like. I know if I wake up at 4 a.m. every day, this is exactly what I'm gonna do. When I journal, I meditate. I'm not hopping in cold showers and doing all that stuff. Like, but I'm like, hey, what can I do for myself internally? What work can I do internally that can help me keep my composure, keep poise, no matter what happens externally, right? So that's the gym, journaling, prayer, um, all those things that I have to do. And I do that four o'clock in the morning to about 4.45 and then I'm at the gym at five. Then I get my workout in. And then I'm straight to the office. I shower at the gym. I'm straight to the office. And then in the office, I'm doing all the most important things between 7.30 a.m. and 10 a.m., right? Because those are your, your maximized hours. And then after 10 a.m., it's anything that I can do unconsciously that doesn't require a lot of decisions and brain power. But as a leader of an organization, I don't get that. I'm literally shoveled things all day long. So I try to get the most important things done before 10 a.m. before I start responding to the world and handling everything else. That's a perfect world. And then most of the time, my day won't end until 6.37 p.m. That's the that's the routine that I would love to have. But the price that I have to pay was not being home, not seeing my children before they go to school. They go to school. They go to an incredible school here in Vegas. Um, and they they leave at 7.45 a.m. My uh, They get home at 4.30, 4.45. And if I'm still at the office, um, they go to bed. They're, they are very routine. And they go to bed at 7 p.m. and they sleep until 7 a.m. Right. So when, so I don't see them. And then my wife, she has a uh, she's a people leader of her company. She works for a very incredible company and she's a manager. She manages uh, people and she's on Zoom calls all day, strategy sessions with uh, very important people in her company that make huge decisions. So her decision making fatigue sets in as well. So when I get home there's a price to be paid there as well. Am I gonna exhaust myself from 4 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then give my wife nothing and don't see my children? That's the decision that I have to make day to day. Now, some days, can like the sacrifice that I make is, there are some days that I just have to give that. And it, it, it comes at a cost. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Monday, I didn't see my girls. Tuesday, I have to see them. Wednesday, I didn't, we and my wife hardly talk. Thursday, I have to spend at least an hour where we talk, where we pray and we decompose and we talk about things that are important in our life. We have to have a date night in a week. It could be a matinee at, on, a, on a random day during the week, but we I owe that to my week, right? I have to do something with the family on Saturday or Sunday, whether it's a walk to the park, we're going freaking to something, but I owe that to the week. That's really what my routine looks like now. It's not organized, but I just know in the back of my mind, I have to pay that price at some point as long as it gets done because I'm not willing to go 20 years, make all this money, have all this success and not have anybody to share it with or talk about how I messed up 
And I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. And now my kids are about to start their family. And that's what they learn from their mom and dad. Yeah, you can always make more money. Correct. You know, 100%. You can't get that time back with Correct. your kids, with yep. your wife. So mm -hmm. that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Got to pencil it in, 100%. Yep. You got to mm -hmm. add it to your calendar. Ink it in. Yep. Ink. It's an ink. You have to be it's intentional about it, yep. for sure. I do the same thing, man, yep. 100%. Date night to. every Tuesday. We don't Permanent miss it. Permanent marker. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It exactly. I love it. It has to be. Yeah. So let's pivot just a little bit. Like, you're a luxury real estate agent. Yep. I mean, you're one of the goats here in Las Vegas. You're just crushing it at a very high level. If someone wanted to, you know, maybe they're already an agent or maybe they're looking to be an agent, but they want to get into luxury. Is mm -hmm. there something that they need to be good at, like a skill set? Like what's different from a regular realtor that's selling traditional real estate mm -hmm. versus luxury real estate? Two things that, I, that stick out um, will be characteristics. Um, person of empathy and a person of knowledge. Luxury real estate is about relationships and really knowledge of the market. My clients that typically they don't need us. Affluent people don't need real estate agents. They're doing the research themselves. They can do it with a lawyer, sure. right? With their representative. They don't need a luxury real estate agent. What makes us valuable is because we are in the trenches, because we have the network, because we have the relationships, and because we know what's going on. So we we give them their time back, and we simplify the process, and the client experience is most important. And that requires knowledge and empathy. We have to understand that, hey, you're not busy, Mr. Seller. You're very scheduled, and your time is important to you. I understand that you can't make that time back. So what we're going to offer you is... Hey, you want to sell your home in 45 days, 60 days, whatever the average days on market is, and then whatever it takes to close that home, we're going to, we're going to hand you a bag of money. So when you want to sell your home, you raise your hand, you hire us, you hire the best. And then in the allotted time that we can uh, basically give you that time based on what the market says and based on our network and what we've seen in the, in the market trends, we're going to have you, hand you a bag of money at the end. Everything in between, we handle. How do you like to communicate best? Empathy. How do you like to communicate best? Do you like text? Do you like voice messages? Like what's the most efficient way to communicate with you to make your life a lot easier? So it's about them and it requires empathy to think about the other person more than it does yourself. And it has nothing to do with the commission. You know, you're crushing real estate. We already talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. But social media is something that, you know, I look up to you. I mean, I see your content, bro. <laughs> like it's fire, bro. Honestly, like this, this is truly like, even if I didn't know you, mm -hmm. I would consume your content. Yeah. And I can't say that a lot about a lot of people, especially yeah, in the I real appreciate estate that. market. So um, what has that done for your business so far? So it's a couple of things. It's weird when I'm already a big dude. So I'm 6'10". I go out <laughs> and people stare at me. People all he is very time. much 6'10", right. guys. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Hard to see in the camera yeah. angle. Yeah. That's true, bro. But when I go out and people see me and they're like, hey, man, you come up in my For You page all the time. Hey, I follow you. Like that happens out there a lot. And then when my clients, it, it's, it, it really comes down to like my clients. When they're with somebody or I, I had a guy, they were at dinner the other night and they called, hey, hey, Sam, I'm sitting here with my buddy. They're thinking about selling their house in Summerlin. And I told them they cannot leave this table until they call you. And then I'm showing them your video right now. For them, it's like, they can go to my social media and say, this is who you're hiring, right? Credibility. And then it, it's credibility. And then I have a, a third party person saying, this is the guy. Like, this Massive. isn't like everybody else. Like, this is the guy. And you're not leaving until you call him. Here, here's the phone. Like, this is a, like, that's what it does for me. Yeah, that's, that's um, massive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And how are you managing that content, right? So do you have a team? Like, what does your process look like for that? Yeah, so I have no idea how it works. I show up and I say what I need to say, and then it appears on social media. So yes, I have a team. That's the way to do it. The last time I tried to record a video on my own, I was like, yeah, man, y'all don't have to be in here. I feel bad. I got y'all trapped in this office. Let me do it. So I hit record and then I give them the SD card and they're like, why is this file so big, man? You must've been like, you were in, how long were you recording? I just did a couple shorts and a couple, you know, talking heads. Well, I recorded the whole thing in 4K slow-mo. <laughs> so he was like, bro, what did you do? I was like, what do you mean? I just, I pressed the button. What buttons did you press? I don't remember. Right. I waited to the red light to flash and I just started talking. <laughs> and they literally went back and it was just like me going back to press the button. Like it was like 10 minutes of me just pressing the button and then walking back to the seat. <laughs> I'm like, bro. So no, I never again. Have, never again. I have That's to have great. a team. I got a social media uh, uh, um, specialist who handles all the content. They disperse, they create the thumbnails, the captions, they respond to DMs, they respond to comments and things like that. Um, the, 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 in the masses, I handle all the comments that uh, on a day-to-day basis where I feel like I can get in an hour or two a day where I can just dedicate time to just to respond to people. I can't get to all of them, but she definitely helps me in that way. Cause she knows how I respond. Like if somebody just drops some emojis, she can just go and respond to the emojis, right? But right. if somebody actually says something, I want to engage with the people and respond to them. And then uh, um, I have my short form editor and producer. So they they create create all the concepts and everything, uh, follow the trends, all the analytics and stuff like that. And then I have a long form YouTube editor. They do property tours and things like that. Anything longer than eight minutes that uh, he'll handle. And then I have a producer that oversees the entire operation. And then a marketing guy that makes sure that everything that we're doing is on trend. Is um, as far as like brand, it resonates with who I am as a person. And then the brand partnerships, uh, we have a brand manager who goes out and they partner with other companies that um, that want to work with us, that work with influencers and things like that. And we turn down a lot of stuff that aren't uh, connected to who I want to be as a person because I don't. Just, it's not just about the check; it's about like brand validity, me being who I am as a person. And then if I was to leave real estate tomorrow, I still have to take me with me. And I don't want to just have some ad like, oh, Sam just takes anything because they pay him. You know, I just, I just never wanted to be that. So I have a brand manager that makes sure that's in line as well. Wow. You're doing it the right way, man. That's, that's the blueprint right there. So speaking of teams, what does your team look like today? Like how many people are under you? Mm -hmm. you How many agents do you have? And, And how important is it to have a team? Um, so on my real estate team, I have 12 on the production side. There's six, uh, five, five or six, six. Yep. Six people on the production side. And we have, we have 12 agents, um, two admins and I have a team leader. So my team leader, every agent on our team responds directly, reports directly to her. She makes sure that all the agents are doing exactly what they're supposed to do as far as meeting their numbers. We have a system called CISU, and it's an accountability software that if they're supposed to have a certain amount of conversation based on the goals that they set, if an agent comes to us and they say they want to make X amount of dollars, hey, Sam, I want to make 300 k here's what it's going to take. We reverse engineer that. We put that information in CISU. We create them a business plan. This is how many conversations you have to have. This is how many hours of power you have to have. This is how many people, uh, how many appointments you need to go on. And then if you want listings to to buy or sell, this is how many you need to uh, to have. And that ratio comes down and it gets them that net after their expenses, after taxes, after their splits and everything. If you want to make 300K, this is exactly what you need to do. So all 12 agents, they would put their, they put that information in CISU. And then our, our team leader, Tracy, she, she makes sure and holds them accountable 
to their goals. And when they don't, it's very easy for me to get rid of an agent. Um, not that I want to get rid of agents, but it's like, hey, you know, this is a business. This is it isn't charity. The charity, the philanthropic work that I do is love on you outside of the business and help you help your family. Like that's the charity. But the business side of it is like, hey, these lights are on because of sweat. Like we got to put in the work. And if you say that you want to be on this team, you have to put in the work. And this is what you're going to get. We hold them accountable. They do the work or they don't do the work. It's very simple. And that's what the team looks like. Um, we, we don't give fish. The, any leads that we give to our team is because they are producing and they're doing anything. It's the cherry on top. We teach them how to fish so they never have to worry about eating for the rest of their life. That's effective communication, how to prospect, where to prospect, when to prospect, and, and most importantly, what do you say when you actually go out and prospect? Effective communication is very important. So that's, uh, that's what the real estate side looks like. And then we provide all the marketing aspect, uh, aspect for them. So when they go out, even if an agent, we got a brand new agent on our team, um, she's had her license for three months. She's set 15 listing appointments just by saying, literally, hi, my name is so-and-so with, uh, with the Sam Coleman Luxury Group. We just sold 123 Main Street for $2 million off market. And we actually have several buyers that are looking to be in your neighborhood. Who do you know that's thinking about buying, that's thinking about selling in this neighborhood? Oh, you don't know anybody? Perfect. Well, how about you? For the right price, would you consider selling? Just saying that, she set 15 listing appointments. And she actually is about to double in one of those listings uh, right now. That She got the listing. I went on the listing appointment with her. She absolutely crushed it. She got it on the market. And she's about to double in it now. She's had a license for three months. My youngest agent's 20. This kid just made $55,000 this month after splits just for April. The kid's 20. Um, he made 70, 65 in like January. Um, like December, he crushed it as well when everybody's like, oh, it's the holidays, it's slow. Nope, kid's still out there crushing it. Got another guy, he's 24. Like nobody is super established where like, they're like, oh man, I've been doing this for 10 years, I've earned my way. No, these are brand new people that just lean in to the systems and processes and they believe in themselves and they do the work. Right. That's what our team is made up of. Wow. You mentioned prospecting. So so how important is it? Number one. And then number two, what are some things that you're doing currently yourself to mm -hmm. prospect? Prospecting is literally going out to connect with people, like being connected. That's all this is about. Like if you're going to sell luxury real estate, you need to be connected. And if you're, oh, Sam, I'm, I'm just moving to the city. I don't know anybody. You really need to be connected. When I got here to Vegas, I didn't know anybody. Right. So I just started going places and you need to make a friend like you need to just all you need to do is go out and make friends with no ulterior motive. Don't be a card slinger. So prospecting can be sending cold DMs on Instagram. It can be literally sending direct mail to one particular community over and over and over again. It can be door knocking. It could be circle prospecting. It could be calling expires and fizzbos. It could be doing open houses. It could be any of those prospecting is anything that you do to go out and connect with people. And what we do is all of it. There are people that are great at certain things, and we do we find that out through personality tests. So we pay for the software where we go, where we have them take a personality test, and it tells us what what the, where they fit. If they're the type of person that's like me, they're a type A personality, they're very ambitious, and they want to go out and, and get things perfect, they're going to be a great listing agent. If they're more reserved than a social butterfly, they're going to be a great buyer's agent, right? So it's just finding out where people fit and then helping them maximize their strengths. So what I do, because I'm 6'10", and I can, and I love talking to people, I'm a great combination of a social butterfly, but I'm also 
a type A personality where I'm a driver and I'm very direct. So I can be a great listing agent. I, I can put on the hat of being a great buyer's agent. I just choose not to unless it's a $4 million buyer, right? I would rather delegate that $4 million buyer because of the time cost analysis. How much time is it going to take me to drive them around for them to make the decision to purchase a home versus me listing a home and then delegating that buyer to somebody else while they drive them around, right? So it's just a, a, a choice, deciding between the two. But my prospecting is really geared around networking with people, door knocking and doing open houses in affluent communities. And so the YouTube people can see how well you're dressed and, and we saw your car. So how important is your appearance, right? Because you're kind of playing into the luxury brand as well. Paramount. It's it's everything. Um, I remember that, that, that first home that I sold for a million bucks, I started showing them homes in this place called The Ridges here in Las Vegas. It was my first time. I never knew this place even existed. I'm a brand new agent and new resident to Las Vegas. Um, and I am now showing them homes in the ridges. Well, at that time I was driving a Chevy Impala that smelled like cigarettes. The spoiler had flew off the back. So it didn't, it just had the holes from where it was supposed to be. The glow up. Yep. And, Damn. and it was, it was bad. So these people, um, how I met them, I had set up for an open house. I used to put out 35 signs and in the middle of the summer, put out 35 open house signs, go all the way home, take a shower because I'll be sweaty, come back, put my suit on. And I would park my car around the corner and then set up for the open house. But when I got back, they were about to drive off from the house. So I blew the horn. Hey, are you guys here for the open house? Yeah, we want to see it. Awesome. I'm about to park. So I parked my car, hop out, go in and show them the house. They ended up saying, yeah, we love this house, but we want to see some other things. So I set up some showings in the ridges, go show them the houses, blah, blah, blah. And they ultimately ended up buying the house. That's how I sold that first million dollar home. But when I, but when we, it's a guard-gated community. I didn't take them in my car and they didn't follow me. They made me get in their brand new Escalade that they bought off the showroom floor because they just sold their multi-million dollar property um, out of state and they had just purchased that Escalade for their Vegas home. That's the kind of affluence we're talking about. Yeah. So wow. they said, yeah, you get in our car, right? <laughs> so we get up to the guard gate and I hand them my business car from the back of the from the back seat. And as we're driving through this nice community, the husband basically, I guess he felt a place in his heart where he could help me. And he, we just started talking, we headed off. And in our conversation, he's like, son, you gotta, you gotta look the part. You know, you speak very well, you know what you're talking about, but you gotta get yourself a nicer car. You know, you gotta, if you wanna be in this game, you gotta look like you belong in this game. And I never forget that. And I made the worst decision that I could possibly make financially. And I went and bought a Mercedes the next week. <laughs> but he went all in. Yeah, I went all in. And at that time, it was a, a 2014 um, Mercedes CLS. It was 70,000. Um, uh, yeah, about 70,000. And I freaking uh, <laughs> blacked this bad boy out, blacked the wheels out and everything. And this was my baby. And now I had a $1,000 car payment. And I had only sold three homes, four homes at this point. And what's wifey say? Well, for, for, man. So, so before the Mercedes was a compromise, I actually had a brand new Porsche Panamera for oh. like two hours. And she said, if I come home and that car is there, we don't have a problem. You better. Why would you buy a hundred thousand dollar car? You just started selling real estate. So right. I compromised and bought a $70,000 car. So I, so I did have a Porsche for, for two hours. Wow. So that was my, yeah. I was a part of the family for two hours. Quick question, bro. I'm just curious. Like if you weren't playing basketball mm -hmm. or in real estate, mm -hmm. what do you see yourself doing? Um, 100% being a beacon of light around the world. I like to look at myself as the David Goggins, uh, Tony Robbins, Eric Thomas, all meshed up in one that sells, that just happens to know how to go from zero to hero 
And then I don't take excuses as to, oh, there's no inventory. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, that like it just doesn't. What I'm doing right now, this is the hardest time in my life right now, even harder than before. Like I'm doing so much and I'm and I'm I'm risking a lot right now for what will happen in 10 to 15 years from now. So I have I have a lot more to lose. When I was starting starting out, I didn't have nothing to lose. I had nothing, right? I can go, I can do this YouTube channel. I can have a production team. I can have all this stuff and it all flop tomorrow. And then I'm like, "Oh, crap. I've invested hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into building a brand and all this stuff, and it it it, it can go away tomorrow if the market crashes and I never and I can't sell a house, real estate agents go away." I know the power of building relationships, connecting with people, prospecting, and I have the ability to sell. So I would sell my way to affluence again and then make an impact through building a personal brand and inspire people around the world for the rest of my life. Like if I can, for the person out there that's like, man, I don't know where to start. You got to have hustle and grit. From that, if you have that, because those can't be taught. If the hustle is inside of you, something that wakes you up in the morning, you're like, bro, I got to go get it. You just don't have the strategy. I believe there are a lot of people that have hustle and grit. That's 95 percent of people from Baltimore because you, you got the, you, you, you're willing to take the risk to sell drugs. You're yeah. willing to take the, like so you got the hustle Very and the true. grit. You just don't have the right strategy and the education. Right. So I believe that I can speak to the hearts of those people that want to listen and that want to learn and said, this ain't the way there's got to be another way. I want to talk to those people for the rest of my life and help them change the trajectory of their life and be the conduit and the bridge between what was in the past generation and what will be. Because 86% of millionaires are first generations. So that means it's possible. You don't have to come for money, right? My mom worked 27 years on the same job and has like literally forced retirement. She has nothing to give me. Like I love my mom to death, but I knew in my mind, I don't want 27 years on the same job. I want to build a life that will outlive me and I want to be able to impact other lives. I'm the conduit between what was and what will be. That's why my mom is so proud of me now, because she's like, Sam, you're doing it. You're doing it. And her 27 years of sacrifice gave me the opportunity to do right. this. Everybody has an opportunity, right? They just have to, they, they just don't understand or, or, or know how to navigate that opportunity to take advantage of it. So let's say I'm a brand, I'm a brand new agent, right? What would be your piece of advice for me just getting started? Find the best team in your area and either work for free or join their team. Most really, really good teams, they don't want brand new agents because it's a lot of handholding and it costs the team more money to bring on a new agent. You want business cards, you want all this stuff. It costs money and you haven't earned a cent. So to go work for the, the number one or top people in, the, in, the, in your area for free, and say, I'm going to learn everything or go get a mentor and start that way. But either way, you have to go get help. If you start on your own, you're going to fail forward and it's going to take you a lot longer and you're going to waste time. You can't get the time back. So if I'm brand new, if I want it right now, if I wanted to pick up and go to Miami, the first thing I'm going to do is find out, one, I'm going to call all my people in Vegas. Who do you know in Miami that I should know? Right. Because it's about the network. Hey, you got to go connect with this person. Go connect. That's the fastest way that I can get. I can build relationships. Hey, so and so in Vegas told me I had to meet you, man. I just wanted to come shake your hand and, and see if there's anything that I can do to help you. This is what I'm here from. This is what I've done in Vegas. This is who I am. And if there's anything that I can do to help you or or be a part of what you're doing and or the direction that you're going, I want to be there. And then do how many times can I multiply that? 
all right, I exhausted all my relationships in Vegas. Now I got four people that I know that I'm super connected with. Now that relationship, how long does it take to make a friend? I don't know. You just put in the time and over enough time, you do enough things and they do enough things. And it's like, yeah, that's my guy, right? That takes time. Simultaneously, while I'm doing that, I'm finding who's the number one guy in the in the city. What are they doing? Let me go. Literally, they, they left a trail. I'm going to follow their trail. They just sold a house on 123 Main Street. All right. So 234 Main Street, 567 Main Street. Hey, did you know that 123 Main Street just sold for X amount of dollars? It was only on the market for X amount of days. Yeah, we actually have a bunch of buyers. We have a bunch of buyers. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know a lot of people that got buyers. Yeah. Right. So we have a bunch of buyers that are looking to be in the, in the neighborhood. You wouldn't happen to know anybody. They left the trail. They already sold the house. I don't have to have any business, but I know how to communicate. So now I'm going to follow that trail and I'm just going to emulate what the most successful people are doing. And I'm going to build relationships. That's all like you can do that. And I believe anywhere. If I wanted to go anywhere in the world, I could pick up and in 90 days. I can be an escrow on a multimillion dollar deal. It's literally that simple. What has been your biggest challenge in scaling, right? Because there's levels to this game. Mm -hmm. Like if you're first starting out, you can sell some homes, but mm -hmm. you've built a whole team and you've scaled to an incredible amount. And so what has been your biggest challenge, you know, through the journey? Um, it'll always be people, people, systems, and processes. Um, people, meaning having the right people, um, the who's not how's, right? Having the right people in the right seats, not, and then being able to delegate effectively, um, making sure that you're delegating the right responsibilities to the right people, having the right people in the in the in that place, and as you as everybody knows around the world, there's a there's a supply shortage in materials. There's also a labor shortage as well. So while we're in a we're in a unique time where you can uh, draw a picture of a monkey and make a million dollars, versus I'd rather do that than go knock on doors. So it's a challenge to find great people that are willing to to do to clean the toilets. Um, in the real estate game, but then also systems and processes. Every time you grow, you create new holes in your boat and you have to plug those holes and then re-systemize and then reevaluate before you can go. Um, and that's all internal work. So being able to manage the internal work while you're externally growing, like you can't stop the, like I can't stop people from wanting to do business with me um, unless I just do a terrible job and I stop getting referrals. But as I'm getting more and more business, I'm still working on fixing the things internally, refining systems and processes while making sure that the right people are in the right place while still being healthy, having a life of my own, being a dad, being a <laughs> husband, right? So like, that's the challenge. Wow, that is a challenge for sure. Mm -hmm. So take me back to the time, you know, you just got cut, you're thinking about, you know, moving on from your basketball career. Why did you pick real estate out of all things? So my wife's grandmother is a, is a real estate agent and um, I was home. I had just, I think I had just played basketball in Israel and um, I had just came back from the season and she said, Sam, uh, can you help me on Sunday take this table into the open house? It's a big table I'm going to set up for my open house. I didn't even know what open house. I just heard carry a table. Sure, Grandma, I'll help you. So I carried a <laughs> table in and she's you. setting up, putting our flyers and stuff out. And she just arbitrarily said, Sam, you know, when I sell this house, I'm going to give you a commission check for $30,000. I said, all you did was come in this house, set up this table and get these are cookies from last Sunday <laughs> at Sunday dinner that you gave us and you putting out these old cookies, some flyers and you about to get paid 30 G's. Where do I sign up? Yeah. <laughs> and that's that was it. Like I'm like I got to get into this is my plan. Let's go mm -hmm. all in. Yep. Then my last question, the year is 2027. Mm -hmm. Where is Sam Coleman? And 2027 um where are we at right now? It's 2022. <laughs> so Five years. Hmm. 
I see at 2020 in 2027, we have uh, we as in my my family, um, we have at least ten doors. We have ten doors that we own um, because our ten year plan actually is to have twenty five doors all paid off. So we should be almost at least halfway there. Um, a minimum of ten doors, and my luxury real estate team we're top ranked in the country. Um, I have a top ranked country uh, real estate team, luxury real estate team in the country. And I'm one of the top motivational speakers around the world, a world renowned speaker in the next five years. The last one. The last one's I believe powerful. it. I believe it for real. Yeah. I just, the last one. and it's not just because it's not the fame. It's like, I feel like I have the life that I've lived and that I'm living. It's very relatable. And there are more people that need to hear that it's possible for them. And more people that look like me have to be a beacon of light and, and shed light. Um, I heard this saying that um, there are a lot of mean and nasty people in the world. There's a lot of darkness in this world. We, we live in a very um, traumatic world where a lot of trauma is happening. But although there is darkness, it's not that there's too much darkness. It's that there are, there are too many people with the light and that are hiding. So I want to be the beacon of light that brings more people in light out to shut out the darkness. Firing. Um, one more thing. So, you know, our podcast is called Blue Gems. Mm -hmm. It's all about dropping nuggets and gems and mm -hmm. knowledge bombs, which you've Don't already right. murdered the show with. <laughs> yeah. right? But if you can leave the guests with one more gem, one mm -hmm. more blue gem, mm -hmm. what would it be? It could be around motivational speaking. It could mm -hmm. be around, you know, real estate. It could be around family. It could be around... Anything. Um, I would say um, communication, practicing, practicing effective communication. I think this was the, one of the most underrated tools that I, that I learned later in my real estate career. If I had taken it more serious in the beginning, I, I could have shortened my learning curve. If you have scripts and an ability to like go to YouTube University. Go learn how do real estate professionals communicate and practice every single day how to effectively communicate. Because if you're in sales and you can prospect and you connect with people, what you say to them and how you communicate with them will ultimately be connected to your amount of money that you can earn. Because if you can get people and then communicate effectively, you'll never have to worry about money again. So I would, I would 150,000% say. My gym is scripts, role play over and over and over again and be a master communicator. Where can, uh, where can people find you, bro? Um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at the Sam Coleman. And um, yeah, if you want to know more about my, like my coaching program and how we help agents, even if they're from 19, 20 years old up to even people in their 60s that are selling luxury properties, our system works. Um, it's not a one size fits all. It's what you want. And we help you do that. You can visit thesamcoleman.com. And obviously, if you want to purchase a luxury property here in Las Vegas, samcolemanluxury.com. Get with this man. He is crushing, crushing the, the game. game. Too many ways to name. Get with my man, Sam Coleman. Thank you so much for coming on, bro. Yeah, I Thanks, appreciate brother. you guys so really much. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.